good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Rodi, joined by my oldest son, John Mark, COO of the Coming Home Network, and we're coming to you from the studios of the Coming Home Network International. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Deep in Scripture. Um, and uh, we're going to jump into a long discussion today uh, because I am in the process of having to prepare a talk to give at a marriage dinner in, in a couple days. And I'm a bit scared spitless to be talking about marriage, even though I've done it for 32 <laughs> years. I, it still doesn't make me, I feel less of an expert now after 32 years than I did when I began. You've done the talking or you've done the marriage? <laughs> you've done that for even longer. Well, yeah. And uh, so... Um, uh, John Mark is uh, very diligently making sure we stay on schedule every week to do a deep in Scripture. So I'm in the middle of this. So I thought what we do in this program is I'm going to talk. I've been throwing together a talk, and I thought, well, let's talk about this, and we'll do it live. And John Mark, I'm inviting you to look at my notes and, and uh, put in your ideas. Because basically what I'd like to do in, in this scriptural reflection is what do these scriptures that we're going to look at, how do they challenge us in our marriages? And I'm actually looking at two specific portions of the letters of Paul and Peter, both, where the sections are not directed at marriage. They're directed at our walk with Christ. But how does it also, and maybe even more so, apply to marriage? And as I think about <laughs> this talk, uh, the one thing I will say, uh, even to this audience, is that I'm not giving speeches like as many as I used to. I used to travel a bit more than I should. And now, ever since I turned 60, I've been backing off. Um, and as I look at my life in three epics. There's the first 20 years of my life when I was basically a nominal Lutheran at best, um, at worst, I was a secular materialist in college, uh, and maybe at best I was a baptized Lutheran, so there were some graces hanging around there, though I did everything I could to ignore them. The second 20 years of my life, I was a born-again Protestant evangelical involved in ministry and all kinds of things, committed to proclaiming the gospel. And then the third 20 years of my life, I'm a Catholic. And again, I was involved in many, many different kinds of ministry, including television, radio, and the Coming Home Network International. So now I'm entering in the fourth 20-year the fourth epic, if we will, the Lord willing. And what am I going to do now as I'm in my 60s? And I thought, well, really my main goal is to try and live out all the things I've been preaching for the last 40 years. And John Marcus, I look at you in the, the camera here. I'm challenging you, my son, that everything we say publicly, we got to be living out. Yeah. And so when I think about marriage... I think about marriage, especially as I enter the 40th, the, the fourth 20-year epic of my life. Nobody says it better than St. John the Baptist when he says that he must increase, I must decrease. And I think that applies to marriage. In fact, let me pose that at you, John Mark. How does that mm -hmm. statement by St. John the Baptist, he must increase, I must decrease, how do you see that applying to marriage? You've been married a little bit less than me. <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah. 
Well, you know, it reiterates a theme that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about in these scriptures today. But um, in all things, when the going gets tough, we tend to cling closer to ourselves and to our own strength and our own wits and our own virtue, so um, presumed virtue, um, rather than clinging to the Lord. You know, and so in our marriages, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day because actually I was supposed to give a, a marriage talk this weekend too, and I it was canceled, and uh, I breathed a bit of a sigh of relief because I, I don't think <laughs> you I were the lucky one. So. Um, but I was thinking precisely at uh, how um, uh, precisely this d- dynamic of of how we of how we cling to ourselves uh, when you know when the going gets tough, uh, and how we need to how we need to bring bring ourselves and our cares uh, on to God in, in all those times, and especially, you know, with our spouses. Um, with all the interpersonal dynamics uh, in a marriage, it becomes even easier for us to hold those things to ourselves, to hold our feelings and our concerns just to ourselves. It's easy to enter something like marriage um, thinking of all the ways that things are going to be easy and great because of of what I planned. You know, I, I love this person and we get along in these ways. And so I have these plans and it's all going to be great. But we go into so many things in life, not prepared for the inevitable challenges that God, God's going to throw at us. And those are where his grace will be be known. And we, we tend to think of our, I, I love the quote from C.S. Lewis. We, we tend to have this idea of our life. We tend to have this idea of our marriage of it's going to go this way. And I'm going to have these plans and I have these expectations. And then we always have these things that are that are sneaking in and distracting us and goofing up our plans and and interrupting us. And we go through our life thinking that that's our life and these are the distractions. And Lewis points out that, no, no, this is the life that God's sending you. This life is a myth. The life that you you plan is a myth. You know, live the life that God is sending you. And so, yeah. I was going to say that, you know, in my 32 years of marriage, the longer I've been married, the more I've realized that in general, usually the biggest problems, the, the cause usually comes back to me. Mm-hmm. And it may be that I don't respond well or, you know, I'm not a channel of mercy and forgiveness. And so as I look forward, I think about two scriptures about marriage that I find very challenging and very important. And one is St. Paul's in Ephesians, in which he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Then St. Peter says, Husbands, live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on them, since you are joint heirs of the grace of life, in order that your prayers may not be hindered. And together, those emphasize that our goals as husbands is to help our wives grow in grace. It really comes down to that. Mm -hmm. And I I can't remember who said it, but I've jokingly repeated it, and that is my goal is to get my wife to heaven so that when she gets there, she can put a good word in for me. (laughs) And and, and it's not about doing everything we can to get ourselves to heaven, but to get everything Mm -hmm. we can by being the most loving, caring, humble husbands we can for the sake of our wives and in the process we're doing the best we can for ourselves too Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what paul and peter talked about here 
Well, and one thing I just I put in there too, just because this is I feel like something that I'm I'm wrestling with and and learning lately is that sometimes it's easy for me, and I think this gets back to the he must increase, I must decrease. Sometimes I can look at my wife or my marriage or my family as a project that that I'm sort of distinct from, you know, I'm I'm sort of aloof from, you know, that I, I'm just helping her, but I don't have to share any of myself, you know. But we are one flesh, you know, it's our relationship, and so I am in loving my wife, I'm loving myself i'm loving our relationship and i'm i'm acting in that vocation that god's given me well when marilyn and i 32 almost 33 years ago picked out our wedding bands we had engraved on the inside of each ring a reference to one of my favorite scripture texts one which i've always considered crucial not only to our life in Christ, but especially for a successful marriage. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the irony is I can't even take the ring off my finger now. So I mean, <laughs> I can't even read it because it's in there. Sure. And uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm committed to marriage for the rest of my life because I can't get the ring off my finger. I'm, jo <laughs> I'm joking. But, but what I had written in there, in, engraved is Galatians 5, 22, 23. Just that reference was there. So what does that reference say? It refers us to Paul's statement about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I think, John Mark, I recall we yeah. talked about that in our last Deep in Scripture last, program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're going to expand on what we discussed last week a little bit more, particularly in relationship to marriage. But to look at that passage— the fruit of the Spirit, I want us to back up first, because being deep in Scripture means yeah. not looking at an individual passage, but always looking at the context, the immediate context, the wider context of the whole book, of the whole New Testament, of the whole Scriptures. So we're going to look a little bit wider, John Mark, uh, as we discuss this today. So first, the context of St. Paul's letter to the Galatians we don't, we don't have time to give a huge context, but let's just at least back up to verses 16 and 17. Uh, when Paul writes this, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. And so we have this battle that St. Paul refers to here. First he calls us, we got to walk by the Spirit. But, mm -hmm. he, but he digs deeper and says that beneath this call to walk by the Spirit is this inner battle that we have inside of us between the desires of the flesh and of the desires of the Spirit. And so before we get into that, I want to remind us of something. And that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we have to remember, first of all, you know, Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to baptized believers. We have to remember, regardless of how we feel, regardless of how we even live in our faith, that we, by faith and baptism, have been changed. And we are new creatures. The old is gone, the new has come. 
and and we have indwelling within us the Trinity. Mm-hmm. And this is profound. And I, I said I wanted us to reflect on St. Paul as well as St. Peter in a bigger context. I'm going to, let's, that's what St. Paul said in 2 Corinthians. St. Peter in his first letter, excuse me, his second letter, says this even more profoundly. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to read a paragraph that is just chock full of, of deep stuff. Yeah. St. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, that through these you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of passion and become partakers of the divine nature. Now, I want to back us up to that because as we enter into discussion about the desires of the flesh and the spirit, the fruit of the spirit, the works, we get into that, we got to remember that this is what's happened to us. Hmm. This is the ground that in baptism by faith through the sacraments we've been changed and we are becoming partakers of the divine nature. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's the work of grace so that we can fight against the desires of the flesh or the corruption of the flesh, the world, and the devil through the passions that are in us because of these promises that we've been made. Now, your thoughts on that, John Mark? Yeah, I mean, the, the, this idea of transformation— um, and not of, of of doing away with what's there, but, but grace builds on our nature because, of course, all that is good in us, God has created us. And so our bodies are good. Our nature is good, but it's corrupted through sin. Well, that's a good so, point because we've got to be mm-hmm. careful of, of interpreting this as the Gnostic mm-hmm. battle between the spirit and the flesh. The spirit's good, the right. body's evil, and, right. and, uh, and that we are just, like Descartes said, we are spirits trapped in a body. No, that's wrong. We are not right. just spirits trapped in a body. Right. We are whole beings. Mm-hmm. But it is a it is a transformation. You know, uh, it, it's 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 going back to everything we we thought we knew about ourselves and and life, human life, all of what it means to be a human being, and looking at it through and with the spirit. Um, and so that what we're doing is not um, not of ourselves, but of the spirit. We we look to the the spirit, and it's in the Holy Spirit. That, that we then proceed, proceed out and to, and to do God's will. Because also, nothing that we do, the question is, what is God's will for our lives? If we've been called to marriage, again, we're talking about marriage, that is a calling in itself. And so to step into God's will and to rely on his spirit is to 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 be seeking the fruits that he wants to bring about through uh, humans as male and female and as married. married. Yeah, when I think about my years in ministry— and in the years I was a Protestant pastor, I, I did a lot of marriages, mm. did premarital counseling and uh, performed a lot of marriages. And Lord have mercy, you know, whether I did a good job at that back when I was a non-Catholic Christian. <laughs> but um, 
But as I look back over all these years, the one thing that, that jumps out at me when I think of this passage in relationships, especially, you know, John Mark, we got to recognize we're not yeah. talking to wives. We're talking to husbands here. Right, right. I mean, we got to find our focus here is, is other guys. Mm-hmm. We really have to admit that. Um, is that we make the commitment to get married. We go through premarital counseling. Uh, we go through all that. We mm-hmm. go through the rehearsal dinner. We... We have the bachelor party. We we go to the ceremony. We go through the 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 sacrament of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we exchange rings. We say yes. We go through all that, and then we walk out of the church completely changed persons. Right? <laughs> no. Through the sacrament, we have become one. We in this mystical way. But the truth is, the desires of their past, the desires of the flesh, the desires of us as individual men remain for a while. And they don't just go away. Just like when we're baptized, if we're, especially if we're baptized as adults, yes, we're new creations, but the desires can remain. The concupiscence remains. We go through confirmation and catechet. It still remains. We go to the confession, and we're, we're cleared. We're forgiven, we're cleansed, but the desires remain. It's a constant battle. Mm. And that's why Paul, in his writing to Christians, isn't telling them, hey, you guys have no desires of the flesh anymore because mm. you're, you're in Christ. No, the reality is, and that's why Paul in Romans 7 says, Egad, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. What's wrong here? Because mm. sin dwells within me, he says in Romans 7. So with the spiritual battle of the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit, in other words, the Holy Spirit is is inspiring us, if you will, to be different. But we still have a part of us that doesn't want to be that way. And I remember St. Francis de Sales talks about that in his wonderful book, Introduction to Devout Life. We have these 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 desires going in different directions. One's from the devil and one's from, from God. It's portrayed in those old comics, you know, with the, with the devil mm-hmm. on your shoulder and the angel on one Well, these inner desires show themselves in our actions. And in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, St. Paul talks first of all about the, how the desires of the flesh exude out of our inner being and show themselves in the real world. And he calls them the works of the flesh. And he says, now the works of the flesh are plain. I love it when he says are plain, because what he's saying is (laughs) that every single person, as a result of conscience, knows that they're wrong. We all know. Everyone in our conscience knows the wrongness. Now, we can cover up that over time, and ignore it until we're until we've squelched it. But they're plain, he says. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, party spirit, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 
I look at that list and it describes my fraternity life back in college <laughs> in the early 70s. Uh, uh, you know, I look at what's funny, John Mark, is you look at the news today and the politicians are right and left destroying one another because they're going back 20, 30, 40 years because of what somebody did 20 or 30 years before. And they've got to resign everything because you did something bad 20 years ago. I mean, which there's not a one of us that doesn't have something we did wrong 10, 15, 20 years ago. Hmm. And, and the point is that that's why a culture that doesn't understand integrity doesn't understand hypocrisy, does not understand forgiveness, does not understand forgetting and moving onward, forgetting them. It doesn't understand it. It's going to implode because mm-hmm. of the craziness of the secular system. Um, yeah, we're very selective with where we apply mercy and justice. You have to have justice to be able to have mercy. You have to treat sin as sin. Um, but once you kind of abolish any real seriousness about there being sin or evil, well, then mercy just begins some, it just becomes about who, who do, who is it popular to excuse or to condemn? Uh, uh, that's, that's the party spirit that the Galatians talks about right there. Yeah. <laughs> that partisanship. It, that's why justice and mercy, though, assume objective truth. Mm-hmm. What is wrong? What is good? What is beautiful? What is true? Objective truth. I mean, is fornication right or wrong? Is it okay? What about impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity? Are they are they wrong or do we get to the point where we say, hey, well, that's just you know, yeah, what's right for you is right for me, and blah blah blah. Right, or it's only wrong when it when it seems to, to injure someone or when someone takes offense at it. Um, and so people think they can just they can live a life doing such things as long as they're not really hurting anyone, um, but it never stays that place, and it really is hurting one. Uh, yeah, um, it doesn't stay contained. And these are expressions of the desires of the flesh that come out, and so people are acting on them rather than saying, "Oh, that desire might not be good. I need to." Ignore that, or I need to squelch that, or I need to listen to the Spirit within me. But Paul says here, clearly, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this does say something, John Mark, about the the significance between the desire and the doing. Right? I mean, it talks about the right or wrongness of the desire versus the doing. And it's an important thing for us as fathers to teach our sons um, Mm -hmm. that it's one thing to be tempted to Mm -hmm. do something. That is a sin. It's the doing of it. Right, yeah. But it's also, I think, too, with this whole talking earlier about this transformation that, that we're offered in God, uh, we recognize that even even those desires through grace slowly but surely are changed. You know, when we we have those, we don't have to act on them, but we still are are um, oppressed by them. You know, when we first again come to come to the faith, or come to a friendship, or come to a a, a marriage, you know, we we enter into any of these situations very broken people from the very start. Um, but the growth in virtue 
see, that's the other thing too. Our, our life in Christ is not just to be a bunch of good things we do. I mean, we we rightly with with certain Christians are suspicious of getting too much focused on what we do, the project that we make of pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. No, God transforms us. He he shows us the goal. He shows us what to do. But also, we're transformed so that such a, slowly but surely, our desires, we, we begin to desire what we ought to desire as well. It starts first by recognizing that our, our evil desires, you know, come out of our brokenness, come out of our sin. But we, we give that, we give those desires to God too. You know, we ask for God's healing, but it all, it all comes back to, you know, whether we're asking and inviting him to increase in our life, you know, so that we really can put on the new man and so that even our desires, the, the, the very things that our heart longs for, that our hearts attached to, get become transformed as well. I think about, uh, I can't speak for women, I'll just speak for guys, that mm-hmm. before you're married, before you find that woman that God has drawn your heart to, you very rightly may be looking around a lot because you're looking at uh, available women, uh, women at church, women at work, because you're trying to find the right one. And so for a while there, your desire is very uh, widely cast, if you will. Well, when you get married, that desire has to stop because that and you've just a person might have been feeding that for years and years as you're looking for right reasons but then when you get married that habit has to stop and if when you look at the world today uh broken marriages all around i'm thinking part of it is that people aren't making an effort to squelch that habit they develop before the habits mm-hmm. they develop before marriage continue right. on yeah, and and I think not not having a not really taking the scripture seriously when it promises us this transformation, it promises this these fruits of the spirit. Um, I think some people can go through life saying, "Well, I'm I'm doing good th- or I'm not doing bad things. I'm doing good things. I'm not doing bad things." But but it's okay that I that I still have all this stuff going on in here. Well, but but Christ want if we're not availing ourselves of grace. Um, to, to transform that as well, then we kind of remain broken. We haven't really invited in the healing that God wants to give us because he does want to transform us. He does He does want to even purify that, but that that's not something that we can do. That's something that we we give to the Spirit. And we, we, we practice the virtue, but it's only through God's grace that that transformation slowly but surely takes place. Uh, again, a wider context of Scripture, I want to just mention, maybe it's important to mention this, uh, warning that St. Paul gave to Timothy, which he almost claim, includes the same list of things, but he says in 2 Timothy 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of stress, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderous, profligates, fierce, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. Avoid such people. Hmm. And the reason I, I just point that out is that it really does describe the, the age in which we live. Uh, and, and it seems to be moving in a trajectory even more so. And I think it's fed by the information age hmm. because the one thing it seems to me that the Internet can do 
uh, besides just giving information out there, it can give people permission because of the egalitarian democratic uh, support of a great variety of ideas. People can feel supported in their desires because, hey, even more people are doing it than I realize. And so they're part of the wave. And the one, Paul, besides warning about the urgency of the time in which we live, he does encourage people to recognize that sometimes the best thing you need to do is avoid those people. Mm-hmm. Some, yeah, people are, well, some people are strong enough to go in there and fight the battles, but some mm-hmm. people whose conscience isn't strong enough may need to avoid people that are sold out into these right. lives. Yeah, well, and, and again, throughout the New Testament, we're, Christ himself introduce, introduces us to kind of a, a fuller picture of, of morality and to the holiness that he wants us to aspire to th- through relying on his grace. You know, because he points out that just because I, I don't fornicate doesn't mean that what, what may be going on in my heart and mind is okay. No, that too is now yeah. part of what I bring to God and I ask him to heal and to transform. And again, like you're saying, we we can kind of excuse a lot of what goes on inside by, by holding the form of religion. You know, so I'm basically a good person. I go to church. I don't, you know, out on the outside, I don't, I'm not unfaithful to my marriage. I don't do, I don't lie or steal or cheat. But what's going on on the inside? On the inside, you know, jealousy, anger, enmity, you know, many things on that list are things that really only happen on the inside, whether or not they manifest on the outside, that, that stuff's really going on. And that, too, is what we bring to God and ask his, first his forgiveness for, but then also his grace to transform us into the image of Christ. So we have the battles of the desires within us. And they, on the one hand, Paul says, the desires of the flesh can show themselves in these different ways. And if we're talking about marriage, you go down that list and— they're, they're a list of reasons that marriages fail all around us. These kinds of things are happening in our culture and destroying our marriages. And it's easy to point fingers out there and, and, and see it's happening out there. But as you point out, John Mark, the desire for these very things may be very resident inside of us. And so we need to help to battle that. And that's why, thirdly, as we look at this, that the the spirit that dwells within us through our baptism in the sacraments has produced the seeds of virtues that Paul calls the, the fruit of the spirit. It's interesting that with this battle of the desires inside that he, he parallels the expression of the flesh, the works of the flesh, he parallels them not with works of the Spirit, mm-hmm. but fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, And there's something unique that was, about that. Yeah, I thought that was a fascinating. You pointed out, I hadn't thought about that, you know, with, again, especially with what we were talking about earlier, that on the flesh side, even, even when we're trying to be good, when, if we're relying on ourselves, then the, then the fruit of our work is still the work of our flesh. You know, it's still if if what's coming out of me is just me, if it's a if it's apart from God's will, if it's apart from the Spirit, it's still just a work of the flesh. You know, 
and and the, the notion of fruit you know we were talking about the analogy of the farmer the farmer he doesn't create from scratch he doesn't create ex nihilo like god can he works with what god has created to bring about this fruit so it has to be a cooperation with god and so we have this parallel of of the works of the flesh on the one hand with the fruits of the spirit and we can't force the fruit to happen we have to cooperate with the spirit to allow these fruits to blossom in us when I wrote my book, Life from Our Land, I included in it a, a, a joke. I don't know if you remember that joke that I included in it, the story about the, the traveler going through Scotland, and he passes, the traveler passes this absolutely breathtaking, beautiful garden. Oh, yeah. You know, there's, it's just beautiful. The, the, the <laughs> rows of, uh, and the plants are just busting and with fruit and vegetables, <laughs> it's beautiful. And the, the travelers looking at it are, are are amazed. And as they're looking, all of a sudden the Scottish gardener pops up behind a bush. And the visitor says, what a wonderful garden God has given you. You are so blessed. You're so grateful to what God has done in that garden. And I don't do a good Scottish accent, but the Scottish says <laughs> basically you should have seen what it was like when God had it to his lonesome. <laughs> and what that does, it, it points out... Yeah, that when God had that garden all by himself, it was a mess. It's a partnership. It's a partnership that God chooses to enter into with us, you know, in in his great uh in the great humility of God. Again, he doesn't I mean, obviously he doesn't really need us to make a garden. He doesn't need our prayers to to make a difference in the world. But in the great mercy and and humility of God, he invites us to participate with him in creation. In his in his in his works, he waits on us. I mean, the great humility of the God of the universe to wait on us to cooperate and to bring about the fruits of the Spirit is just astounding. Well, and that Scottish gardener was not saying, "Look what I did," because <laughs> right. you know God produced the vegetables, God produced the fruit, God produced the leaves, God produced all of that stuff. But we needed God in His mysterious will chose us to be together. The fruit of the Spirit comes out as a result of the grace that we've been given through the sacraments, through baptism, mm -hmm. through confirmation. Mm -hmm. The indwelling spirit, the divine nature that Peter talks about, produces fruit in us. It comes out. The fruit of the spirit, and it's interesting, He does. the Greek isn't the fruit, plural, of the spirit are. It's mm -hmm. the fruit of the spirit is love, mm -hmm. if you will. And all these other things, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, are expressions and aspects of love, of yeah. the charity of God. And they, they grow in us. They grow out of faith and baptism, confirmation, result of the Holy Spirit dwelling within, are walking and remaining and abiding in the Spirit. The seeds of these virtues are planted within us, whether we feel them or not, and frankly, whether there's much evidence of these qualities and virtues in our lives, they're there. That's the promise of the sacraments mm -hmm. within us. And they're waiting to sprout like that garden before the Scottish gardener showed up. They were waiting mm -hmm. for that gardener to do his part. And this is why throughout the New Testament, we find verses commanding Christians to act out these virtues act out these fruit. Here we find the mystery between the work of God in our lives and our own actions in response to grace. And we have received the fruit of the Spirit, but we must act on them. John Mark, if you would, 
There's mm-hmm. a great passage in St. Peter that really emphasized the other side of this. Mm-hmm. We have the fruit of the Spirit in that passage from the second letter talks about our side of this. The 3, 14, 18? No, the second Peter, uh, uh, comes from Second Peter, but chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Do you have that in front of you? Should I read it here? Uh, you better read it. I lost my place. In my I'm sorry. Here. I'm sorry. Um, and this is an awesome passage. And St. Peter writes. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. You find it? Okay. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and read if you found it. Okay. For this very reason, make every effort to to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I love this passage for lots of reasons. One, it emphasizes that we are to make every effort to bring the fruit of the Spirit alive in our lives. We just can't presume, I've been baptized, I'm changed, hey, here I am. No, it takes every effort we have. Paul says in another place, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It takes our effort. What I also like about this is, and this is, again, I love this staircase idea. Yeah. You know, like the staircase of the Beatitudes, which I've talked about other way. There, there, there seems to be a pathway in which we grow in grace to become more like Christ. And often there's something that has to happen before something else can happen, before something else can mm-hmm. happen. And John Mark, I was thinking in terms of your training in philosophy, do you see that expressed in this paragraph of St. Peter? You know, how things build on and build on and build on. And there's and there's a method to growing in grace. Well, I think what comes to mind in this passage just is, because to some degree this list is a bit all over the place in terms of the, how these things build, but it, it reminds me a bit of the, of kind of the, the order, but also the chaos of, of marriage and family <laughs> life. You know, just when you, ex- you take that step, you take a step of faith, you know, and you feel, maybe before, before marriage, you know, you're, I feel like this is in my life. I got, I got to a point where I, for a time I felt, okay, I, I've kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my faith seriously. I'm living it out in college and things are going pretty well. And then something new comes in and kind of upsets it all, you know, and then, and then you, you prepare for marriage and then you, you think, Oh, I've got the perfect person and we're on the same page with the faith and it's going to be great. And then you get marriage and, and then a whole new slate of challenges arises or a, a whole new slate of vices you didn't know you have manifest themselves. I mean, Teresa and I and many parents joke that, man, I thought I was a really patient person. And then I got married and had kids. <laughs> and I realized that, no, I was never patient. I just had a real cushy life, you know. Um, and so there, there is, a, there, there is a, a building on these things. And in God's providence, I think he tends to bring you things in the order you need them, you know. Uh, and, that, and that's why, again, we, we, don't, we shouldn't look at, at challenges or or interruptions or unexpected things. We should we should try to see the hand of providence. And there's a reason this is showing up now. And it's my response to God's, the grace he offers me in this moment to make the best of this thing 
so that he can bring these fruits out of that experience. If you live by yourself, you can go a long time without having <laughs> to be merciful or well, without man. having to say, I'm sorry or without having to be forget, You know, you can go a long way and then just get married, and you can't go very long at all without the call. The reason I love this, you know, is I think it was Augustine that said that, uh, what comes first, knowledge or faith? Mm. Faith comes first, mm. to understand. Faith and understanding, right? Yeah. And so we see that in here. For me to grow in virtue, I first need to have faith. Mm -hmm. And then through the virtue, living out that faith, it opens the, the mind and heart to growing in knowledge. For me to have self-control, I got to know first to be self-controlling. Mm -hmm. self and what to control and why and where it's going. What what are the right desires? Yeah. Know, what, what, is it? what does it mean to be a human? What is my purpose and my destiny? Why was I created? So we see this faith that opens to virtue, which then opens us to knowledge, helps us know how we need to be self-controlled. That self-control leads to being steadfast. The discipline of that's what Lent's all about, you know, and that steadfastness is what leads us to godliness. And then that godliness is what allows us to see what brotherly affection really is. And I'll, I'll just an aside, I would look at the scandal today of people misinterpreting brotherly affection, and I think it's because they lack these other things leading up to it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's actually a great point here. Talking about virtue, you know, I, I, I've been doing a personal study on the virtues the past couple of years, and I'm amazed that in my own understanding of many of these and, and what I seems like I hear out there, on, on all the cardinal virtues, for instance, so prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance, we, we often emphasize simply the, the negative side of the virtue, but don't, we don't recognize the positive fruit of the virtue. Um, and so I think temperance is the greatest example of this. We, when we talk about purity, we tend to just think about not being impure. You know, so we talk about being, you know, so the purity of heart we're called to, the, the, the purity as a virtue that we're called to. We tend to just think of, well, not doing X, Y, and Z that's impure, fornication or whatever those things are. But what's the positive side of temperance? And I think this, this brings that out a little bit, is that the reason that we temper our desires, many of our desires that in their, in their root are good, you know, desires for food and for drink and for sex, they're, these are all desires that came from God, that they have a purpose and a plan. But we temper them, why? Because they're bad? Because we want to get rid of them? No, we temper them because our heart is to remain pure and available to be attached to that which it should be attached to. And so starting, you know, earlier on having virtue and knowledge leading into self-control and steadfastness, um, steadfastness, it could be another term for you know, fortitude and courage here, that the growth in these virtues paves the way. It, it tends the garden of our hearts so that we're available to love. The thing is, we, when we're driven by passion, we can think that we're great lovers. This really pertains to marriage. We, we come to marriage and because we're caught up in uh, the honeymoon experience of being in love with someone, we tend to think, man, I am, I am courageous and I'm a servant leader and I, and I love this person. I'd do anything for her. Um, but, and that's good, but we have to also recognize that what's driving us right now is a lot of passion and that's not bad, but we do realize that, that past that, we need to grow in a lot of virtue to, to truly remain acting in love with that person. And, and this tempering of our desires, and this, this growing in courage, this growing in knowledge, 
that's what what purifies our hearts so that it's able not to be stoic and cold, but so that it can truly love the other. Which is, yeah, the end result of this list that Peter gives us. Um, I will point out, you note, that Peter is saying very strongly that faith alone isn't sufficient. You have to supplement that. Mm-hmm. It begins with faith. And then I'm going to also say that that means that baptism and the rest of the sacraments aren't sufficient. Mm-hmm. Just getting the seeds of the fruit isn't enough. You've got to act on them. We must mm-hmm. affirm the existence of the grace and fruit in our lives because of, because of the work of the desires of the Spirit and even more to make every effort to be loving, be joyful, Work for peace, be patient, be kind, insist on goodness, be faithful, be gentle, and exercise self-control. That's the other side of the fruit of the Spirit. That's our part to it. Mm. That's how we make mm-hmm. the garden grow, right. so that the fruit show themselves in our lives. So we have these battling desires, and they can express themselves in things that are wicked, or they can express themselves in things that are good. And if you will, the question is, who are you going to imitate? Who, that's the point. Who are you imitating? And we're called to imitate Christ. And both St. Paul and Peter emphasize how important this walking by the Spirit is. And uh, let me read a couple of scriptures at the end of both of the sections of Scripture we've been looking at. Peter goes on in Second Peter to say, For if these things are yours and abound... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I love that statement. I really do. Because he says if if we do grow in these things, Mm. if we respond to grace— they keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. In other words, the, the, the fruits themselves, if we're, if we're responding to them, that almost multiplies our ability to know our Lord Jesus Christ. If we're lacking them, it goes in the other direction. Hmm. We can become blind to the work of God in our life and forget that we've been changed. You know, and yeah, it, it, I was going to say that's it, part it, of the problem we've got in our culture today. Right. It reminds me of the, uh, you know, the, to he who has more will be given, and to he who has not, uh, it'll, even that will be taken away. There, there's always a, yeah. a mystery there. Because like what, you know, at first glance in the Bible, that that's always such a mysterious passage because it, um, and it's this mystery of God giving you these seeds, planting this in you through his grace, and then, you know, again, in, in the awesome humility of our God, waiting for you to respond to that, and then giving you more in response to that. I mean, we we, we co-op, cooperate with him, um, and but it's, again, it still all comes back to the Spirit working out those things in us, you know, and so, again, we always, there's always this temptation after we make a little progress, we feel like we've made a good step. You know, I've gotten married or I've I've made this step in my life. 
it's there's always then the temptation to then back away from the spirit and say, I've got this now. I'm a I'm a decently virtuous person. I'm strong. I got this all together. No, but th- that fruit comes from the spirit, and it's only that fruit builds on itself. We have to continue to cooperate with God. I was thinking about how that applies then to marriage. You know that if we humbly, humbly seek to do these things ourselves in our marriage, God will give more. Yeah. If we don't, even what we have might be taken away. And that's what you're saying. There, you know, it's called mm-hmm. to respond to God. And he has lots of promises, but he also says, you let that garden, you ignore the garden and the weeds grow. It becomes a mess. Mm-hmm. St. Paul also then, after he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he goes on, he says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So there's, again, there's something about when we choose to follow Christ, we're crucifying by his grace those desires that want to pull us away, mm-hmm. nailing them to the cross. Mm-hmm. We're trusting that he's taken away. And maybe mm-hmm. St. Peter adds the best conclusion to this in Second Peter uh, chapter 1 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be the more zealous to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never fail. So there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there he puts it in the big picture. It's the long journey. It's not just a one-time thing. It's a lifelong step-by-step of growing in these things, responding to the fruit of the Spirit, dealing with the desires inside, and seeking uh, to, as he says, Confirm your call and election, seeking you know all that you can. Yeah. Now, um, how does this apply to marriage? And uh, just as an introduction into our conclusion, John Mark, when we talk about it, I, I want to go back to that first quote I made at the very beginning hmm. from First Peter: Husbands, love, live considerately with your wives, bestowing honor on them since you are joint heirs of the grace of life, in order that your prayers may not be hindered. For married couples, all of these verses we've talked about emphasize how we are to walk side by side together, Hmm. walking by the Spirit who changes us both together. And as Peter said, husbands... The reason our prayers may be hindered if we do not live considerately with our wives is because through the sacrament of marriage, we have become one with our wives. We are not merely individual heirs of grace, but as St. Peter states, we are joint heirs Hmm. of the grace of life with our wives. Right. However, we can't wait for our other half to get on board with these things. Actually, it's probably more the other way around. They're waiting for us. <laughs> more often than time. not, our wives, husbands are waiting for us to get on board with these things, which is why the best thing we can do for our marriages is, as St. Peter said, to make every effort to s- supplement our faith with these virtues. For the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our wives, to show our love for our wives 
by being these things by grace. Yeah. Yeah. That this this idea of being joint heirs of, of the grace of life, it can, you know, they can feel. One of the mysteries of being a human being, and maybe in some unique ways in being a man, um, I think many men have a harder time, perhaps, than at least some women, with the aspect of the relationship with God where we have to rely on God. We have to stop relying on ourselves. We have to be receptive to God's grace rather than active. We want to be active. We want to, you know. Um, and, and in some sense, by calling us into a, a partnership, where we, we're we're joint heirs with that other person, but we also need them. I think that's another thing too. Is God, we maybe we realize that only slowly in marriage that in a mysterious way, from all eternity, He's planned where that person really does complete some things that are are uh, that we need. Maybe we don't want to admit it. Maybe we don't want to. It's a difficult thing for us, but I think you know it's there's a providence to that relationship by our needing to work with another person, to pray with that person, to see our our eternity, our our salvation intricately, intimately bound up with that person's. You know, that's a great aid in our in our trying to live out what John the Baptist called called us to, that, you know, he must decrease, I must or I'm sorry, he must increase, I must decrease. Yeah. You know. Maybe the best thing, the simplest thing uh to close with is what can I do to better my marriage right now, every day? And one way to do that is to pray that the Lord will empower us to live out the fruit of the Spirit that we've received by the sacraments. How today can I be more loving? And we remember love is not primarily emotion, it's an act. It's an act of giving. How can I give? How can I be joyful in my marriage today? Lord, help me. How can I make peace? How can I make peace? How can I be more patient? Lord, help me. Kind. Are there ways in my words and my facial expressions, I could be more kind. Goodness. How can I have goodness grow in my family? Faithfulness. Am I unfaithful? In not just my actions, but my thoughts and in my use of time and think, Lord, how can I be more faithful? Gentle. How can I be more gentle in the way I treat my spouse? And self-control. Lord Jesus. Yeah. Help me with this. You know, and I'd say, I think an important part of that prayer is precisely looking at that list. You know, and, and we again, we think back to that list earlier where we have this, these fruits of the Spirit building on each other. I think sometimes the trap we can get into is there are, uh, there's a variety of good things we could work on or good things we, we could do. Um, but those can also be an excuse for not listening to what God is speaking into our life at that moment. You know, we can we can lean a, a lot of our own perceived righteousness. Well, I'm I'm pretty good in this area, in this area, in this area, and I'm working really hard in this area. But when we I think we approach these fruits of the spirit, we think about our, our marriages and we ask, how can we do better? In particular, 
what is the Holy Spirit putting on our hearts, convicting of us of what is the thing, maybe the thing we've been avoiding, maybe the thing that that's the, the, the elephant in the room. What's that thing? You know, and then the first the first recourse isn't to go out and tackle it as a project. It's to say, Lord, is is this what you want me to address? This what you want you to me to, to work on fixing? Give me the grace. Show me the way. All right, John Mark, thanks for that. Thank you for joining me today. All of you, thanks for joining us. John Mark, as we close, do you want to make any comments about our work? Yeah, well, again, thanks as always for listening to Deep in Scripture. And thank you for being a part of the Coming Home Network. Again, if you're if you're not on our, our email list or our mailing list, please go to chnetwork.org slash join. We are a network of converts to Catholicism, as well as people on the journey to the Catholic Church, as well as many lifelong Catholics who are supporters of the work. You know, And we are a network of sharing the stories of what God's done in our life and learning and trying to grow in these fruits of the Spirit uh, uh, through prayer. So we invite you to be a part of that and to receive the newsletter each month. That's, again, chnetwork.org slash join. All right. Thank you, John Mark, and thank you for joining us. Look forward to being with you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.